0: Good afternoon and all the commotion this morning I lost my microphone I lost my clicker I didn't know where I put anything I left the microphone on and ran the batteries down in it so I want to thank you all for being here this afternoon and I, I wanted to say a special thanks to you all I reflected this week uh, this this uh, afternoon after lunch I reflected back on my life and on the life of Ryder and a thing that came to my mind, a thought that I remembered. So from a week after he was born, we had not had him home very long. And I sat in our living room in Winchester and was contemplating uh, my life and the life of special people in my family, people that I looked up to, people that I had a great deal of respect for. And I just remember I I just broke into tears. I was crushed. Richard, this is uh, just me, I'm a crier. Uh, You might not have seen it very much, but I, I am. Um, And I cried, and she said, what is the matter with you? And I just, I didn't know how this young child that I had brought into our life, how was I supposed to raise them to learn about God and to see His will and to have a love for Him and a thanks for Him that led Him to obey? How was I, an imperfect man, supposed to bring that about? What a great responsibility, what a great weight is placed upon us as parents. Thank God it wasn't just up to me. Thank God that He plays such a marvelous role in our lives and that He has filled my life with many people and especially thank God for people like you. You all have played a big part. And I think it's easy as a small small congregation for us to look at the number up here on this board for attendance and how it just kind of stays the same for so many weeks on end and it goes up and it goes down to begin to feel a little bit defeated. Today's been a day of victory. And I want you to know that. I want you to take courage in that every one of us here, it takes a village, and every one of us played a part in helping our children all come to a better knowledge of who God is. And so with that in mind, I want to think about, and I'm going to go ahead and say right now, this is a sermon that I've preached here before. Um, I preached it back in 2016, so some of you were here when I preached it, probably even less of you remember it. Um, And for the rest of you, maybe it's new to you, but it's my favorite Bible story. It is one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible today, but that wasn't always the case. I want to talk just a little bit from 2 Kings chapter 6 and talk about the God of sunken axe heads. There are stories in the Bible that I find so interesting because God opens Himself up and reveals Himself to us. We see Him in creation. You don't have to go very far here in central Kentucky. You don't have to go that far at all to begin seeing marvelous beautiful things that say that wasn't done on accident there is a great god in in, in, that, that is at work designing amazing things so we see him in creation we see him in the life of jesus most vividly we see his mercy and his love as we talked about this morning with the passover and the lord's supper but if you really want to learn about God, if you really want to dig in and find more about who He is, there's no better place to turn than to His Bible. And we read these amazing stories, but every now and then we come across one and go, what on earth does that have to do with anything? What on earth can I, can I possibly take from this? Uh, 1, or 2 Timothy 3 tells us all Scripture is inspired, all Scripture is God-breathed, all Scripture is profitable, but every now and then there's Scripture that we just go, I don't understand why this was recorded. Richard, you just read off a whole bunch of names. It's easy for us to read those names and go, what on earth does that have to do with anything? Well, this is a story that is similar to, uh, to me and to my background uh, with that sort of mentality. In 2 Kings chapter 6, you have this account, a story that made me question, why? Why did this get recorded? And I find that when I'm becoming a little bit overly critical about a passage, that is a good signal to me that I haven't spent enough time reading that passage. I haven't spent enough time studying and contemplating and meditating the meaning of that passage. And so whenever that happens, when we start to be becoming too critical, maybe it's time for us to dig in a little bit deeper and contemplate on the whole message and the whole counsel of God which makes us complete. And so we find that here in, in chapter 6. I wanted you to just... Just for a moment to think about the story that's taking place here before we we read these verses. You have a story that describes a great time of growth in the kingdom. There is growth going on, and you have these these men that want to be prophets, and they're learning from the prophets. They want to sit at the feet of the prophets and hear the things that they have to say. And so you have all of this expansion going on. and, And in the story, we find Elisha is involved with teaching some of these guys. But it is so popular that it has become cramped. They're living together in such tight quarters. They say, we want to build a bigger house. We want a bigger house. And Elijah says sure i think that's that's makes sense let's let's do that um and then in the story in the account of this story we come across an accident that happens in the process of making this bigger house i want to read with this just the first uh, first 5 verses we're going to stop there for just a moment uh, 2 kings 6 verses 1 through 5 it says the sons of the prophet said to elisha see now The place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make their place where we may dwell. So he answered, Go. Then one said, Please, consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down the tree, an iron axe head fell into the water. And he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. So you have this picture, this picture of all the growth that's going on. You have these young guys that said, we're going to go down here. We're going to, we're going to cut trees down. We're going to build a house. Elisha saying, you know what? That is a great idea. And they go, Master, you got to go with us. This is, we, we want this to happen, but we want you there. Elisha decides to go with them. And it's at this point that I always picture in this narrative this group of guys working together to build a house and they're, they're hammering away on these trees. They're, they're cutting down. That. They've got purpose. They've got tenacity of purpose. I'm just going to pull as many things I can from John's class into my lessons. They have got stick We're here to work. And, and they're going to be thorough. They're not going to just do this halfway. And so they're working on this. And if they're anything like me, I can remember this naive idea I had that I was going to build a bow, a bow and arrow, a bow stave, out of hickory and i decided dad i don't need chainsaws i've got it i got an axe i'm cutting it down i'm going to carve it by hand i'm doing the whole thing it's going to be a primitive bow built with these two hands and so we go up to the farm and i'm going all right somebody tell me what a hickory tree looks like i don't even have a clue what i'm looking for and he he kind of gets me pointing the right direction and I oh no no that tree's too big and so we look and we look and finally find this tree that's maybe about that big around it wasn't that that large And I thought, that's the tree that I can start with. And I remember in my mind, I've sharpened my axe. It had double, it was a double axe head. So it's like this thing, I mean, I'm going to put the force behind it. And I'm sure just with a couple of blows, that tree's coming down. And about an hour later, with blisters covering my hands, I am just about ready to say, Dad, get the chainsaw. I actually cut it down by hand and it fell right between two trees. And we ended up having to get a chainsaw to cut it in half to get it out of the woods. But nonetheless, I just remember the the energy and the excitement and enthusiasm. I am going to do this. And I just picture these guys. We are building a house and Elisha is here with us and we are going to do this. And they're swinging away at those trees and they're cutting them down. And in the midst of all this, you have this accident that happens. And again, no one got hurt. And once again, I think back to my family. Anytime construction accidents happen in my family, someone has lost a finger. Someone has had something terrible happen to them. And so that, that's maybe where our mindsets go when we think an accident happens, but no, it's not what happens here. You have this young man who, who maybe got a little overzealous, swung that axe back, whatever happened, and the axe head <pop> slid off the end of the handle. goes flying through the air. And we think, now, this would be terribly bad if that axe head hit somebody. I mean, there's even laws about that in the Scripture. You kill someone on accident, that can be still really bad. But no, no, that's not what happened. Axe head somehow manages to miss all of these other guys who are busy working, just flies off the handle, lands in the Jordan River, and as iron axe heads tend to do, floats or sinks to the bottom, floats. Um, And so we look at that, and we, we think, well, that's... A problem that doesn't seem that bad. That's the story. This is the story that we're left with. And I remember when I read this story, you know, we, we're going to find in a minute what happens next. Um, and it's, it's fascinating, no doubt about it. There's, there's such interest in how this plays out from here on. But I remember reading this, I just remember thinking, well, that's a bit weird. That's just a strange story. In the midst of everything that's going on around Elisha at this time, you have this really just out-of-place strange story that says, yes, some dude lost an axe head, and and Elisha helps him find it. I struggled with this story. It seemed insignificant. It's because I love to read about amazing, miraculous things. In John chapter 20, John chapter- excuse me, John chapter 20 and verse 30. John records that there was a lot of things that Jesus did that he did that didn't get recorded. Things that that if they had been recorded, they could have filled all the books of the world. He said they didn't get recorded. The things that did get recorded were recorded so that we might believe, but there was a lot more that didn't get recorded. And I read a passage like this, and I go, you know, that's taking up valuable real estate I would just as soon take that out and fill it with one of Jesus' stories, something else that He did, because those are awesome. When we think of awesome stories, we think about the miracles. We think about things like the Red Sea crossing. We think about things like like the Israelites walking across dry ground as, as these two... Columns of water on each side of the, as the sea is parted down the middle. And, and you think about just all the thousands of gallons of, of displacement that happened there. And, and what did that look like? And what did it smell like? And just what an amazing story. Or Jesus feeding the 5,000. And I, I always picture myself as one of the disciples. And I'm, I'm handing out this fish. and It's just like, this thing is not ending. Like, uh, let's go gather it back up. And I'm filling up a bucket. And I'm like, I didn't even have a bucket to begin with. And now I've got like five buckets. I've got all of this leftovers. This is amazing. Or Jesus walking on the water. Now that, what a sight. To be Peter. To step out of that boat. and To stand in water. As if it is solid. These are miracles. And these are impressive. And these are huge. And they're, they're public. And they're life changing. But in... In 2 Kings 6, we have this unnamed guy. Don't know who he is. He's standing by the side of a Jordan River somewhere out in the wilderness. Why is this recorded? What purpose does this have for me? Well, the reason this is recorded, as I came to learn, started to make me feel ashamed that I would missed the wonderful message here. Because the lesson that is being taught in 2 Kings 6 is that we serve an awesome, awesome God. And it doesn't matter how many people are there. And it doesn't matter how important you are. And it doesn't matter how wise or how old or how strong. We serve an awesome God. And so I'll, I, I want to read this passage again, but but as we or, or go through this passage again, I want us to think and contemplate a little bit more about this passage. But as we do it, I want us to think about some of the things that are happening here. Um, before we do that, I want you to think about the Psalm one one thirty nine. About Psalm one thirty nine. Before we jump back into that, I want us to just gear our minds up and kind of prepare our minds to see this message in this manner. Psalm 139 verses 1 through 6 says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know my sitting down and my rising up. You understand my thought afar off. You comprehend my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word on my tongue, but behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You have hedged me before and behind and laid your hand upon me, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. And then he even goes on to say, now later on in verse 13, you formed me. You formed my inner parts and covered me in my mother's womb. So before anyone else knew me, God knew me. Before anyone else knew this young man standing on the side of the Jordan in this situation, God knew him. And what this story tells me is that this great God that can split the Red Sea in half, this great God that can invite a mortal man out to walk with him on the ocean, that can feed the thousands, this great God, he also cares about people in anonymity, people that don't exist, people that that you don't know, people that I don't know. He cares about me. And so that's why I titled this The God of Sunken Axe Heads, because that's my God. That's the God that sees me. The same God that saw this young man standing by the edge of the water. And so the problem we have here is a lost axe head. Let's just go back through the story. You have this lost axe head that has, has, has fell into the river and we, we see this Phrase that the young man, we, we, we don't really think about it that much, but his response, when the ax head comes flying off, it goes in the water, he turns around, he looks at Elisha and he says, alas. Alas, master. So we don't maybe think too much about that word. We, you know, we find it throughout the scripture. It just seems like a really old word that, that, that means, oh no. And essentially that's, the Greek word is aha. And it is kind of where we get the idea of, oh no. But, when the Hebrew word is spoken, alas, it, re- it references a time of great fear and a time of great pain. And one of the best places to see this is back over in Judges chapter 6. In Judges chapter 6 and verse 22, I want us to think about what the, the context is here. You have Gideon who's kind of this this... I mean, he's going to turn into this kind of hero for the Israelites and of the judges, but right now he's hiding, he's threshing, uh, he's, he's in a threshing room floor, he's, he's, he's getting his, uh, or he, excuse me, he's not in threshing room floor, he is in a, a um, wine press threshing, threshing wheat and, and he's doing this because he's afraid of the enemies around him. And at this time, God comes to him in a time of despair, in a time of fear. He comes to him and he says, you're going to be a mighty fighter. You're going to be a warrior for me. I'm going to use you. And over and over again, he says, I don't think so. You got the wrong guy. Give me a, give me a sign. Help me to, to see. But finally, in verse 22, Gideon gets it. He realizes what's going on. Now, Gideon perceived that he, the person he's been speaking to, was the angel of the Lord. Now that's kind of a big deal in Scripture. Mankind, every time they come to the realization, I'm talking to God, I'm talking to one of His angels, it fills them with fear. They fall on their face. They're afraid that they're going to be struck dead. This is kind of, I mean, as good as it is, it's terrible news at the same time. And so he says, alas, Oh Lord God, for I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And notice what the angel says back to him. The Lord said to him, Peace be with you. Do not fear. You shall not die. That's his mindset. When he uses that word, alas, yes, we might just say it's oh no, but it's like the mother of all oh no's. Like this is as bad as it gets. I'm speaking to an angel of the Lord. I'm going to die. That is the same terminology. That our young man uses on the side of the river when he loses this axe head, something that we might find so just unconsequential. Okay, so you lost an axe head, go get a new one. It's not that big a deal. But his response to why this is such a big deal is it was borrowed. So this young man probably couldn't afford to buy an axe. He probably couldn't afford to just go out and say, well, okay, I want one of these tools because we're going to build. I'm going to buy this axe. He had to borrow it from someone. And if he couldn't afford to buy it, it's probably likely he couldn't afford to replace it either. And so it shouldn't come as a big shock to us when you look through the prophets that maybe being someone who aspired to become a prophet, that want to set at the feet of the prophet and train his prophets... They're not someone that's going to be incredibly wealthy in their life. They're someone who is known primarily, in many cases, for their poverty even. God using them to humble the very arrogant and pride nations and peoples of, uh, of, of wealth that didn't use their wealth to serve God. And so now... He's looking at this and he says, I've, I've borrowed this. I couldn't afford to buy it in the first place. Now it seems like I probably can't afford to repay it. And again, we think, well, maybe that's not that big of a deal. All of us have probably done this at some point or other, borrowed something that we couldn't pay back. We've got a vehicle sitting out there in the parking lot that if you said pay it today, I'm going to say, I don't, I don't have the ability to. We have all been in some form of debt. Isn't this guy just going to have to make payments or something? Take some time maybe away from the work that he's wanting to do? But in some way, he'll, he'll pay this back eventually. When we think about you know, just a couple weeks ago, we talked about Amos. This is near the time frame that he would have lived in. In Amos chapter 2, verse 6, one of the things that is called out about the people of God at that time that is infuriating God is their mistreatment of those who are poor and those who didn't have representation. Those who couldn't take care of themselves. They were, they were not just needy, but they were, they, were, they were owing someone something and they had no form of way to represent themselves. And in Amos 2, verse 6, he talks about how they sell the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. You owe someone a pair of sandals. You can't pay that debt off. You're going into slavery. I'm getting mine somehow or another from this. So this is what this guy's facing. This is why he's, he's filled with fears. This wasn't a pair of sandals. This is an axe head. This is something that takes time and takes resources to to replace. It's not going to be cheap or easy. And he's facing not just being out some money or time. He's facing being out his freedom. Maybe even his life. We begin to see, alas, this is a big problem. But then we also see that the story doesn't end there. Read with me verses 6 through 7. So the man of God said, Where did it fall? And he showed him the place, so he cut off a stick and threw it in there, and he made the iron float. And therefore he said, Pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and took it. This is the response of God to a man with a problem that might seem insignificant to us, but it is a very real problem to him. And God takes time to respond. We see God and His intervention here shows that God sees our problems. But God cares about our problems as well. Working through Elisha, He brings the axe head back to the surface. The young man is able to retrieve it. The axe is saved. The young man is saved. But I want you to know, this isn't the only place we see this picture of God in Scripture. If you'll flip over to the book of Mark for a minute. Jesus is shown throughout the book of Mark as we've been studying through this uh, for the past couple of months, we've seen that He is very aware of the problems around Him. He sees the problems of people's hearts. He sees the problems of people's health. He sees the problems of people's fears. He is constantly showing that he's, He is in tune and in touch with that. Jesus' miracles oftentimes focus on some of the problems that people are having. And there's some things that I want us to show how Jesus shows God's care as well. Jesus shows that God cares in His teaching. Jesus would take time to teach great multitudes of people. He would would have these vast numbers so big He'd have to go up on a mountain or out into the water on a boat so everybody could hear. And, And you think, well, this is a great teacher. But this great teacher also would take moments to go to an individual such as Nicodemus. Nicodemus who came to him secret and said, I'm not above that. To have an individual come to me and to have a one-on-one discussion with him, a close intimate discussion with him. When he fed, he fed the 5,000 on one occasion. He fed the 4,000 on another. And again, we look at that and think, that's amazing. But what I find is even more amazing than that is the breakfast he fixed for the disciples that deserted him at his death. For leaving the one that denied him over and over and over again. And in John chapter 21, we see this, this small breakfast that Jesus has made by the sea as he gathers them to him. And I think there about the lessons that are learned. I think about how heartbroken Peter must have been that uh, of the things he's done. And he he's almost seems like he just, I was like, I just want to get back to my life. I just can't bear to think about this. And Jesus is showing, Look, I, I see you. I see you. You're not insignificant to me you're not I'm not blind to you and he even does things for him like that I'm reminded of some of the prayers of the Old Testament sometimes you would see the whole congregation of Israel praying together and and mourning together such as in the books of Nehemiah but also you hear a prayer of a single man not even that good of a man kind of a wicked scummy man in the belly of a fish but God hears that prayer God sees God sees people that don't even belong in His covenant like the Ninevites. And and He listens to them and He is willing to see when they turn from their way to hold back destruction. But you know what? I also think of other prayers like in 1 Samuel 1. I think of the prayer of Hannah. The prayer of that woman who prayed like no one else was watching. woman who mixed her prayers with her tears. And yet God heard that prayer too. Or oftentimes we love to sing that song about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he that Jesus still saw. He wasn't blind to him either. Someone even of short stature. Jesus still sees you. You I stick out like a sore thumb everywhere I go. Of course God can see me. No, God sees everyone. Even the people that are having to climb a tree so that they can somehow get a glimpse of this Savior. As Jesus walks by, he says, Zacchaeus, I want to go to your house. I want to be in your life. These people are likely thinking, Who am I? I'm all alone. No one knows about my problems. No one sees what I see. No one cares for the things that are going on in my life. And in Mark chapter 6, that's where I want to think about just for a moment. I can imagine that's how Jesus' disciples felt as they were on that boat being rocked by the waves on the Sea of Galilee. In Matthew's account, he records that the boat. Was so battered and so so beat around. It seems like they even feared for their lives. We're not going to. Jesus is the Son of God, and He told us to go over here. We're not even going to get to the other side. We're going to die in the middle of this lake. But I want us to read what Mark adds to it in Mark chapter six, starting in verse forty-five. It says immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go to uh, before him to the other side of Bethsaida. And while he sent the multitude away, and when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. How far they must have felt from Jesus. You know, it's one thing for him to be sleeping in the boat, and we can wake him up and say, hey, do something about this, please. Don't, don't you see what's going on? It's another thing to be by ourselves in the midst of trying to be obedient to him and being tossed and beat around by everything and to the point where you think, I'm not going to make it through this. And yeah, Jesus, he... I know he's with us, but he's somewhere way over here, and I can't see him. I don't don't have anything to show me his presence. That's the situation they're in. But verse 48 says, Then he saw them. He saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. And now, about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. And when they saw him walking on the sea and supposed it was a ghost, they cried out and they all saw him and were troubled. But immediately he talked with them and said to them, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. This recording of Jesus tells me the same thing that First Second Kings 6 tells me about who God is. He is a God who sees and he is a God who cares about our problems. They are real to him. Jesus made sure that He not only saw their problems but He did something to make sure that they could feel His presence that they could, they could have relief from their problems and I don't think that that God has changed in our lives good friends I want to assure you that the world probably doesn't know your name I don't think there's too many of us here reaching the top of any list that are going to give us worldwide fame And so they don't know who we are. And they don't see our struggles on a daily basis. They don't know when we feel pain. They don't know when we feel heartbreak. They don't know when we've experienced suffering. They don't care when we're pushed to the edge. And they don't have any concern for the fact that you face that alone at your work with no one here and in schools and in your families to say, I'm here to help you with that. I'm here to be your helping hand. They don't. But God does. God knows, and God cares, and that leads me to think our God, the God of sunken axe heads, is an awesome, awesome God who cared for a single man on the border of the Jordan River for someone who had accidentally lost an axe head. I hope that this message causes us to take heart. Because the God who sees even the small things of life, the God who sees the the sparrows and the lilies of the field, He cares for those things. How much more so would He care for those that are created in His image? He knows us. He cares for us so much that He sent His Son for us. And that's where I want us to kind of end this thought with. At some point in our life, every single one of us was just like that axe head. Maybe some of us still are. We were floating or sinking down to the bottom of some dirty, muddy river. In Romans 6, verse 23, it tells us the wages of sin is death. We had a life that was buried in the mud, and that meant we had a debt that we couldn't pay back. We couldn't afford it to begin with, we can't pay it now. We had no way to repay that. And at a time when we had no hope, God saw us. And God had compassion. And God stepped into His creation. And God did something about that. He stepped in to pay the price that we couldn't pay. That's the awesome God that we serve. That's the God of sunken axe hands axe heads and what he does is he sees us and he cares for us and he loves us and he calls us to love him back in john 14 verse 15 jesus said if you love me won't you just keep my commandments you have just an opportunity, in just a moment, you have an opportunity to, to look at your own lives and to, to contemplate on those things and take the opportunity to do just that, to keep His commands. But before you do that, I want to think about that act said one last time as it's buried down in the mud in the muck of the Jordan River. The power of God picks it up from the bottom of the river. The power of God raises it out of its watery grave. And today, our lives are dirty and our lives are stained with sin because the power of God, though, we can be raised up because the power of God, we can be made clean. And I want us to realize the power wasn't in the water. There was nothing special about the Jordan River. There's nothing special about it at all. And in fact, nothing happened. That the thing was going to stay down there until all of a sudden Elisha threw in a stick, a piece of wood. Now in Mark 16.16, we are commanded, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. We are commanded to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We are commanded to obey Him, submit to Him in obedience through baptism. But the water isn't what saves us. The water of baptism isn't what saves us. Just like in our example, it was the power of God that worked on a piece of wood. A cross. A cross which the very Son of God sacrificed his life on. But there was one last command that was given to this young man. The stick is thrown in, the power of God, raises the axe head to the surface. Happy day. But the last commandment was go get it. Reach in and grab it. This evening I hope that we will think about what we must do to take hold, to reach in and grab what God has done for us. That doesn't make us earning anything. It makes us begging for God's blessings in our life. When we repent and turn from our life of sin, when we walk each day in a way that confesses to the world, Jesus who died and rose again, He's not just my Savior, He's my Lord. And when we are baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, we are turning to Him saying, I was in a world of hurt with no hope. But through the power of God, I can be made whole. I can be made well. I can be made complete with Him. If you would do that today and focus your life on being faithful unto death, Jesus promises to receive, receive your crown of life. And if we can help you with that this afternoon, won't you be let, let that be known? Come forward as we stand and as we sing.